Welcome back to Chatting to a Friend. I know, I know, it's been, as they say, a hot minute. But this year has just been so crazy. I don't know about you, but all the things put off from the COVID years uh, just all got rammed into this year and I just got a little behind and so I'm afraid the old podcast had to take a bit of a back seat. But we're back and it's a short season. Some of them were recorded quite some time ago, so apologies uh, to my amazing guests. Uh, I think you're really going to love these. One of them is very topical right now uh, and the rest are just as sort of evergreen as you would hope. And I really hope you enjoy. It's a short season three, but season three it is. My guest this week is the incredible Ursula Martin. You may have heard of her as One Woman Walks because sometime last year, towards the end of last year, she returned from walking 5,000 miles, that's 8,000 kilometers in new money, across Europe. Previous to that, she had walked 3,700 miles or 5,000 kilometers all over Wales. These weren't her first adventures, as you will hear, but they were her first public adventures after being diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And we talk about her adventures, but we talk a lot about what they meant to her, how they changed her life, what she learned from them, really. And we talk about her having journeys of exploration and the naivety of her very first ever endurance trip and how it came about. Trusting and knowing yourself is just a really inspiring conversation. And we cover a lot that's not actually to do directly with the adventure of the walk, but more about everything that came with it. And I just think you will love this conversation. Hi, Ursula. How are you? Thanks so much for joining me. Hi there. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, my pleasure. We've been trying to catch up for a while now, but you're a busy woman. And <laughs> uh, But I have been absolutely, uh, I haven't followed your journey from the beginning, but from sort of, I would say somewhere during lockdown last year, I came across your journey and it just sounded extraordinary quite frankly there's no other word for it um and so the most recent journey you've come home from is 5000 miles across europe but that's not where you started i know from what i've read and what i've heard that you started this journey when you were diagnosed with ovarian cancer mm, yeah i mean that's been that's been the thing that has taken me from kind of private traveling to public journeys mm. I'd say yeah that's been but I, I, I don't think it's not the cancer that has started me doing endurance things I was definitely in that vein beforehand but since the cancer because then I decided to do the first thing I did after the cancer was to do something for charity and then um it, it just kind of was accidentally um much bigger than I thought which which was um a 3,700 mile walk uh, in Wales. So, yeah, so the, the cancer was kind of um, a boost, really, to the, mm. the journey sizes, but I was definitely in that vein. Basically, it's been about 12, 13 years now of, of um, traveling and, and doing different different kind of endurance 
activities in between cancer and you know being at home and fundraising and things like that well then let's come back to the 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 public side of it but so what mm. started you you started traveling when you're about 29 is that am I correct yeah that's right I was 28 and I was um, working in a homeless hostel at the time and I started to do a counseling course as a way to kind of you know move on career-wise and mm-hmm. and when you when you do counseling courses you have to, the first thing they you have to do is to look at yourself mm. and um that was one of the first ways in which I really started to understand that I kind of wasn't okay and it, it wasn't actually a very good idea of um going into being a counselor because I wasn't um I wasn't very ready to support other people um and I just kind of decided to go traveling and it wasn't this conscious kind of I am going to go and heal myself or I'm going to go on a spiritual journey type thing it just wasn't that organized because I'm not actually very I wasn't very organized when I was in my 20s for sure and uh, you know I wasn't I wasn't very good at kind of conscious planning I've got better at it so I've got older so I, I just kind of went off you know and went to visit my sister in Spain for a couple of months and ended up staying there for 11 and went to festivals and like lived on beaches and that was the the first time that I um, did do a walk um, and it was the river Mino and it was I saw it on a map and I thought wow wouldn't it be cool to follow that river all the way to the source and then so I did it and so though that's kind of I don't I don't necessarily come at what I've done from a physical achievement point of view or a physical performance point of view Mm. I have entered into this sphere of of endurance journeys from a wouldn't it be cool if I could do that point of view and then it just happens to be these intensely physically taxing (laughs) um, (laughs) things that I've come up with you know I'm not I'm not a physical performer I'm not a physical athlete type of person it's just so happened that I've chosen to do things that push my body so it's yeah it was I just saw this river on a map and I thought wouldn't it be cool if I followed that and it was a real journey of exploration Mm. in the sense that I didn't have a map really Um, I had this I had this like a5 map of the entire county of Galicia (laughs) (laughs) so it basically showed the roads the major roads and I, I didn't, I had this pair of boots that I'd found in a skip and I had huge rucksack full of far too many. It was just this real innocent, it was a real naive journey mm. of I'm going to walk and camp and follow and go into the unknown, you know, mm-hmm. and I did. And it was absolutely brilliant. It was just one of the most standout kind of magical adventure journeys I've been on. You know, I got scared by wild boar in the night and I walked into the forest and I you know met people it was just you know these real kind of naive simple aspects of adventure travel Mm. they were all contained in that journey and it was it was really good and when you said earlier that you realized that you were not okay what did you mean by that and did that journey help you with whatever it was that was not okay um, yeah, I mean, I think I think I'm still in a process of of healing, you know, of becoming. I, I like to I like to kind of think I describe it as I haven't I wasn't taught to be a functional adult or a functional human being when I was a child. 
And so I've had to learn a lot of things for myself about taking responsibility for your own actions and being comfortable with who you are as a person and, you know, stuff like that. It's an ongoing process. Mm, yeah. um, but I think I think the thing that I learned in the in the counseling course particularly, I think I realized that I wasn't really able to let myself fail at stuff. Mm. So there was this performative aspect of of succeeding in the class and you know being the best at your homework and stuff like that and I was really wrapped up in those kind of aspects and I think unconsciously because this definitely wasn't this big clever realization but unconsciously in in the time that followed it was a period of letting go Mm. of of expectations and of control of the future and yeah, just your ability and and failing. Basically, I've learned how to fail, and that has actually given me the ability to to succeed more than ever before. If that makes sense, it, it's counterintuitive, I think, in a way. But that's that's kind of the path that I followed. So the way the way that I would kind of illuminate the changes that have happened for me in that time period was that. You know, I packed everything up and I said goodbye to everyone, you know, went off traveling. And I went to do a sequence of um, volunteering placements. Mm. And they were all within kind of 20 or 30 miles. They're all in Wales and they were sometimes within 30 miles of my old hometown, which was Barista. And so I had things arranged in advance and they were safe because they were through a structured system of, mm. you know, organized volunteering and they were all in known, uh, known culture, let's say mm-hmm. they were, they were Welsh, they were small Welsh hippie organic projects. And two and a half years later, I was kayaking down the river Danube <laughs> or maybe, maybe one and a half, no, one or two years later, I was kayaking down the river Danube with all my stuff in the back of the kayak and I didn't know what was going to happen when I got to the end of the river and for me that is massive progress mm. because I had let go I had let go of control and fear of the future and the need to know what was going to happen to me and it's a what is indirectly happening in in that process is a trust and a knowledge of yourself and I think that um Basically, the, what happened when I got to the end of the Danube was that I managed to get a few uh, house sitting placements. And then I found out that, and then I hitchhiked back to the UK for a Christmas visit. And I was going to go back to Bulgaria and keep building whatever I was building there. And then I found out I had cancer. So everything changed completely. But the sense of being able to com- cope with the unknown, which I have been gradually, you know, cultivating is the key to jumping into bigger and bigger and more kind of outsized projects such as walking across Europe. Oh, my word. It's extraordinary. There's so much in there I want to, to, to tackle, <laughs> unpack, as is the, the terminology yeah. these days. <laughs> um, so many things. I love that that you started it with a wouldn't that be cool I think some of the best adventures I've ever had start with I wonder what I wonder where I wonder who Uh you know just I I I find it you know I live in a place that has just got the most extraordinary amount of trails 
And I love those days when I think, hmm, I haven't tried this one. And you just think, mm. well, where am I going to go? But, and, and that losing sight of losing the control and failing. Have you always managed since then to keep that naivety and that uh, wouldn't it be cool element as your trips got bigger, more public and more sort of followed, if you like? I'd like to think so. I've realised that it does kind of hamstring me a little bit because I think people think that I'm less capable than I am because I talk a lot about my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't always, uh, you know, I'm not a big kind of kit freak. So I don't, you know, I don't always show exactly how capably I'm using the equipment that I have, you know, mm-hmm. so people tend to kind of see me as a bit more naive than I actually am. But I I think, I think, I've still, even though I've done bigger and bigger journeys, I still, I'm at the point now where it might change, but I've I've still only done things that I wanted to do because I wanted to do them. I haven't done stuff to create an audience. I just have had an audience that has followed me. So what I hope there is and what I've continued to do is this naivety, which is authenticity and and you know, both of those are kind of interchangeable. You know, I'm not doing this to create a social media following. Yeah, I'm doing it just to do the stuff. And then it, pretty much because of the cancer, I did get a strong social media following because I was telling the cancer and the walk, the first walk that I did, I was telling that in a fundraising sense. Mm. So I did collect a lot of people who have enjoyed what I do and have kind of come along ever since for the for the Europe walk as well. And if you could drop the social media side of it, would you just carry on? I'd like to be a writer who didn't have to document their journeys on social media. Mm. I do as much as I love the storytelling aspect of it. And I, I'm doing a little thing at the moment where I go for a walk every day. Mm. And then I write something about it and I put it on social media and it just exists as a tiny little vignette of, mm. of each daily walk. And I'm I'm doing that for fundraise because it's the 10 year right now. I'm in the period of the 10 year anniversary of my cancer mm. and I wanted to mark that in some way. And so the way that I've chosen to do that is publicly and by putting little things on social media every day and hopefully raising a little bit of money for charity. Mm. So I really enjoy social media for its entertainment and connection, but I also think it's a poison and it's destroying our attention span. It's it's changing our culture, the way that we consume different entertainments as you know mm. books versus 30 second videos type of thing and mm. our image I think it can be a really positive force for good because I follow a lot of non-white non-thin people who are getting outside and connecting with nature and mm. it, it's giving me an awful lot of viewpoints that I would not get in mainstream media mm-hmm. so it does have value but I also would like to not do it I'd like to live in a world without it as well equally yes I was reading or somebody said recently to me about you know when we have these thoughts about like you've just expressed about the poison and the 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 sort of changing of our culture is not to demonize the 
the, the social media are necessarily or the devices, but the content and the way we consume it, as you just said, you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. how we choose, what we choose to follow. I think we can make such good conscious choices, as you've just said, following people mm-hmm. who you would not necessarily come across in your daily life or that you mm-hmm. would not necessarily perhaps even agree with really sometimes or see their point of view but there can be so much good comes out of it but I think you're right that when the way it's consumed often or the way it is used can be so yeah poisonous is a good a good word Mm. for that Mm -hmm. it's designed to be addictive and we we are sucked into it and that part you know it's a malevolent machine essentially that we are trying to use as a positive force in our lives but essentially it's just a massive advertising tool you know it's used to sell (laughs) us more and more stuff and so there's a lot there's a lot that's awful about it but when you're walking or on your adventures I I think I read somewhere that struck a chord with me something you wrote that said sometimes you think about what you're going to post or you think about how you're going to tell that day's journey And for Mm. me, I do that. And it sometimes kind of motivates me. It makes me think a little bit more about what I'm doing or what I've seen or how I've experienced that day or that journey. Is that something you've experienced? Yeah, I definitely um, write some experiences in my head as I'm doing them. I think I'd like to be, I I think that's just a natural kind of process as a writer, Mm. you know. Yeah, you narrate yourself. <laughs> yes. But I I wouldn't necessarily I used to take a lot of photographs and um photography was kind of my principal hobby. Um and I, I did a couple of small journeys. I went to Milan for a week and I went to Paris for a week just out just to take photographs mm. as, as kind of a you know, it was a, a, a passionate hobby. And um when I went traveling, I didn't take, when I did that thing where I went, you know, went off to 28 and I didn't take a camera then mm. because I wanted not to document. And this was before I had any social media at all. And I wanted to be more mindful. I wanted, because when you narrate or when you document an experience, you're putting a barrier between yourself and the true participation the true immersion in any experience and the camera was a physical barrier and I I do think I've I've gone back into that again you know in in the right in this self-narration of an experience so I think there's something to be said for having experiences which you don't ever document at all yeah, one of my guests last year actually asked me gave me uh, my challenge Katie was to go away camping overnight by myself and tell somebody for safety reasons where I was going and never tell anybody anything about it. Yes. Yeah. At all. Not document it, not tell the person I told where I was going. Nobody, not my kids, not my husband, nothing. And it was really, it was amazing, but it was really hard given what we do on a daily, weekly, however, depends who you are basis in terms of, oh, look at me. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also you're defining when you're defining that experience for external um what's the word um validation maybe consumption oh yes 
There we are. <laughs> Two writers completely lost for words. Well done, us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens far more often than I'd like. <laughs> you know, when you when you're defining that experience for other people to consume, you've censored it, haven't you? Mm. You know, to have the true, just you and your thoughts experience. I think I think that is the um, that's the novelty, isn't it? in modern social media sense. It totally is, but it's not just modern. I mean, I when I was at university, I studied autobiography for my um, oh. degree. And it's, I mean, I have a, it was a really shitty degree. I mean, from a great university, but I was not a good student. Um, but <laughs> uh, so when I read the, the dissertation now, I'm slightly embarrassed, but the themes are amazing. And one of them is about why do people write autobiography? You can never, ever, 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 tell 100% the truth because there's always some sort of motivate external motivation like you're trying to justify you're trying to be validated you're trying to explain something or you know there's always something and so when it comes out through that filter of your you know thinking what other people will if there, if it's ever to be read by any, anyone else there's always mm. an element of dishonesty whether you mean it or not and it's mm. so fascinating. And I, I try to read and see people's actions through those, that filter. And that stuck with me for 30 years. Um, mm. And it's just, I find that it's, it's a really interesting way of reading other people's autobiographies, their social media and that sort of thing. And, the, and you know, I was studying, you know, texts that were already a couple of hundred years old by that stage. So it was, it's, um, it's fascinating. Sorry, mm. waffling, but I find that really mm, interesting. No, 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 really interesting. Yeah. It is always a performance, isn't it? You know, in that sense of creating a version of yourself. I mean, that's what I'd like to try and avoid. But I think even if you're creating a flawed version of yourself for social media, you're still creating that self, aren't you? Well, exactly. And you said earlier that you thought that people see you in a different way to how you perhaps see yourself because of the way you portray yourself as this sort of, you know, oh, I don't talk about all my kit and I don't, you know, tell people that how I plan and and so in whatever way you thought you were portraying yourself you people have managed to take it perhaps in a different way altogether yeah that's one of the things I mean once I did start doing this probably it started with a Welsh walk and I mm. was doing you know pub, just call, let's call it public documentation of the journey I realized that you cannot control how people interpret what you put out and sometimes that's intensely frustrating, but mm. it, it's just what it is. We're all, I can think I've expressed myself in one way and it goes into somebody else's brain in a completely different way yeah. because of their, their structure, their shape of, of their interpretations. And I just have to let it go. You know, I, I create what I create is, is for me and people, people receive it how they receive it and I can't control. It, it's good in a way. Because it makes me realize that I, what I've realized is that I have to do what I do for what I'm comfortable with. Yeah. And I can't, I can't manufacture a positive or negative. I have to, I have to focus on what my authentic expression is. And I can't worry too much about what the audience responds is. And that's, that's really, um, relaxing for me actually that's really freeing yeah and did you feel that I've just I've interviewed somebody quite recently who uh is an Everest summiteer you know a couple of times and so on and 
And she wow. was in two very uh, controversial summit bids and teams and so on. I mean, sort of 25 years ago. And she was saying exactly the same. She said, you know, they came back to this huge whirlwind of controversy. And she said I, she had to very quickly decide, you know, because she could not reach out to every single person. And this was before social media. She couldn't reach out to every single person and explain herself. And even if she had, they probably still might not understand or get her point of view. So she had to just take the proverbial deep breath and say, yeah. this is why I did it. I stick by the decisions we made. And you can just suck it up. <laughs> and as she said exactly the same thing. And it just, it gives you that sense of freedom, that sense of, well, you know, I'm doing this for me. I'm not hurting the people I love uh, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and just getting, get, getting a bit, a much truer version of yourself. Yeah. I suppose when you do that, you're setting your own boundary. And that's yeah. a really, you know, especially perhaps if you're a person who, is not very able to do that as I have not done in the past, you mm. know, been able to know myself enough to set boundaries, it, you know, counterintuitively, although you're flirting all this stuff out into public social media, it is actually a process of setting boundaries, which mm. is, yeah, it's, it's a really great thing for me to do for myself to go, I'm comfortable expressing this and you take it how you want. Yeah. Not worrying what people think of you which yeah. is kind of the opposite of what social media is. But somehow <laughs> yeah. that is the thing that has worked for me. <laughs> and, you know, the funny thing is that's the, I don't know about you, but those are the accounts, those are the social media accounts that I follow. You know, that's how I ended up mm. following you because it was very real. It felt very mm. real. So, mm. you know, regardless of whatever I might think of your journey or your this or that, or the next thing, it felt really real. And those are the ones that keep me coming back they're interesting, they're real, they're vulnerable. Mm, absolutely. For me, that's what I want from my social media. And that's why I can, and you do very quickly get a sense of what is, you know, what's more performed and what's less, you mm. know, and what's more about communication. Yeah. Yeah. And did you find when you wrote the book, your first book, One Woman Walks Wales, how did that translate? How did that feel as a an exercise compared to the sort of daily snippets? I mean, it's, it's so hard. <laughs> Writing a book <laughs> is really, really hard. Mm. You're climbing a mountain, except the mountain is invisible <laughs> and you're building it yourself. You know, it's, yeah, it's really hard. Um, I, I took a while to get started, but eventually I did. And, you know, I did get into the writer. I got, to the point where I was working, you know, all day, all night type of thing in the later stages of the, the book. You know, it is it is essentially just a longer flow of words than the vignettes. Mm. Um, I do think perhaps in my first book there is less, less craft of overall storytelling mm. than I would like to incorporate into the the second book which is what I'm working on now which I guess is the ability to see the overview and edit and manipulate the storyline according to what bits you need to concentrate on and what bits you need to skip over mm. I don't think I did that very much in my first book so it is is this huge plunge into 
I think my first book is very much about the landscape of Wales. It's a very um, kind of vivid, almost poetically charged book because it's very much about the land of Wales and the the physical experience of walking across it. Mm. But I don't think I skipped over stuff (laughs) Mm. because I could just about get away with it. It was 17 months of journey. It's quite a thick book. I'm not going to be able to do that with the Europe walk because that one is two years, nine months of journey (laughs) and I'm going to have to skip bits. Otherwise it will be a trilogy. (laughs) So there's going to be a new craft involved basically in Mm. this in this second the second book and is that something you have help with you get coaching with or are you just sort of battling out on your own figuring out as you go I've been to a couple of small courses so I I, the thing about me is that I didn't I didn't I dropped out of my A-levels when I was in sixth form I didn't go to university and I took two A-levels when I was 25 in night Mm. school and that was biology and psychology so technically although I've 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 done what I can, what many people consider to be a key part of being a writer, which is to be an avid reader. Mm. I've never studied, so my my writing apprenticeship has come from blogs. I've been blogging, journey blogging, repeatedly for mm. you know seven years now. That, so that's the practice. That's the thing that has shaped my ability to write, um, and my my knowledge of how to get how to flow how to get the words out but I don't think I would go to university now Mm. to study writing but I do go on uh, short courses with the Welsh I've been to two with the Welsh Writing Centre and I just completed one last week with the Arvon which are the English Writing Centres and they've they helped me they helped a lot just to kind of nudge you in the right direction they're just a week long, you know, they're just, mm. they're, they're small, privately run short courses. You know, it's not a qualification, but it is, it's just a, it's a help. Yeah, because I, I, I read a lot of adventure books and, you know, books of people taking on incredible endurance events. And I always think it sounds like an endurance event in itself, knowing how to, as you say, pick and choose the bits that are really important and skip over the stuff that isn't because, there will be bits, I assume, that you feel are really important to you, but perhaps they are better skipped for the sake of continuity or or, or the story mm-hmm. or the reader. Mm-hmm. And so that yeah. I, I feel feel like that must be really hard. Yes, I think I think definitely for this Ukraine book, the thing I, I think I had the luxury in the Welsh book of describe. I didn't really have to skip much. Mm. And again, it's quite a thick book, and perhaps I should have done, <laughs> but. <laughs> The the, you, the I'm writing about Ukraine at the moment, and yeah, there are people I'm going to have to miss out, and mm. it it's it's strange to think that. I think that's just what happens, you know. When especially when you're writing a travel book, you will have to create the story, and the story is not necessarily exactly faithful to the journey. It's a creation. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm going to write it by myself to at least first draft yeah and then and then an editor will help you mm-hmm. uh, assuming you get a publishing contract mm. oh exciting now you I want to talk a little bit about the walk specifically the well actually both really but I wanted to just sort of 
link it into something you said earlier about you not being a physical person and mm. that I also saw that recently you had been off to um, a clothing manufacturer to help them with sizing for people as as you say non-thin you said earlier um, <laughs> and, I, will, I will use the word fat okay um, for myself <laughs> mm. it's just I don't want to I don't want to use it I'd happily go fat bodies in the outdoors. That's kind of the tentative <laughs> yeah. title of a of a thing that I'm writing about that experience. But it's just that not everyone wants to be identified, you know, yeah. choosing to apply the label fat yourself is 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 hard and it's not not everyone's ready to do that. Yeah. So fat. Yeah, and I just I but I and I interviewed again last year. I interviewed uh, an amazing Australian woman called Kath Wallace, mm. Um, mm. who uh, it sounds like you've heard of her, and she's just all yeah. about this living the life in the the only body you've got. And mm. I wondered how you know I I know you took on this sort of formative walk of wouldn't it be cool to follow this river, but how did you know if you you're not non physical, it's not about the performance how have you felt that being in the body that you have has helped or how has it affected the way that you do what you do talk to me about it from that perspective if you if you can if I've made Ah, myself clear that's nice about about appreciating the aspects of my body that is not a typical not typically viewed as an athletic body in my mind I think of myself as a little Welsh pony. <laughs> so I'm kind of short and stocky and I don't give up. So that's part of my physicality. Like mm. my physicality actually has a lot of stamina, mm. Ment- mental stamina and physical stamina. And I'm strong, I think, although it's hard to tell because all my muscles are covered with a layer of fat. So you can't actually see them. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to see my big boobs and I'm going to see my big bum and I'm not actually going to see, you know, my arm muscles and my thigh muscles and mm. so on. You know, my abs, mm-hmm. don't, I'm sure they're in there somewhere. Like, <laughs> <that's>... <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of hard to appreciate your – because I, I grew up in the 90s we are, you know, we were way off body positivity. In it. I, I, I think children growing up now are getting an absolute influx of varieties of mm. possibility of the type of person that they can be or that they might feel in themselves. And what I was getting in the 80s and 90s, you know, as a teenager in the 90s, was not that. You know, mm. it was, are you thin? Well, if not, you're an absolute failure. And so these are the the messages that I have absorbed through my life is that, you know, being fat is gross and Mm. unattractive and not good enough. And so I had never, it's the walking that has helped me to appreciate my body in a different way. Mm. And also the cancer, actually, Mm. because I was, you know, I had an ovarian tumour. And I had a, I had, so I had a growth in my abdomen, in my stomach, mm. you know, my stomach, my belly, let's yeah. say. And I had only ever assessed that area of my body in terms of 
how big or small it was mm. in a good or bad way, you know? Mm. Essentially, how attractive am I? I was I was assessing my my constant assessment of myself, you know, that the underlying the underlying mess, you know, the underlying way that you talk to yourself. Pre-cancer, I would say, was pretty exclusively whether or not I was attractive mm. and success and failure in that sense. And cancer gave me the ability to think about my body in a different way. Is it healthy? Is it functioning? I was able to think about all the ways that my body was functioning as it should. My lungs take in air in every single breath and give oxygen into my blood. You know, all these ways in which my body is doing good work. And then I set off to do these huge walks. Mm. And I was able to appreciate my strengths, my physical capabilities, my my stamina and mm. my my ability to continue through pain and and also my ability to continue. Yeah. Um you know because there's actually a lot, as much as I concentrate on my physical incapability, you know, my tight hips and my dodgy knees and my painful shoulders, you know, because I'm strapped into the rucksack all the time. And, you know, I, I did, it was, it was bloody hard to do each one. Yeah. Both of those walks were really painful, really difficult, but I did do them, you know, and I did them whilst being overweight the whole time. And mm. I, perhaps other people's similar shaped bodies might not have been able to do that. So there are there's a lot to appreciate about my my fat body in a, in more than an is it attractive or unattractive way and and that's definitely what these last one of the things that this last 10 years has taught me and do you have you had people telling you that they've been grateful for you seeing you do what you do as it helped people into your knowledge with similar bodies think, oh, I could do that? I'm not sure, not specifically. And I think I think one of the reasons for that goes back to social media branding again, because mm. I have treated in the sense of, oh, we're going to use horrible words, but content creation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the sense I haven't, deliberately not branded myself as a fat person right. in, in outdoors as a fat body so I choose I very rarely use body positivity hashtags for example mm. I very rarely I just don't I, I don't want to brand myself that way mm. because uh there is still an element of I, I you know I'm not over it I'm not I'm not over I'm not entirely comfortable being fat I just live mm. with it yeah yeah and I work on appreciating myself in a different way so the I'm just not ready to to be that I really hated being cancer girl Mm. during my Welsh walk because that was how a lot of that was how all the media stories wanted to frame me and Mm. you know people do want to go to that thing of how has cancer changed you and how has it made you change your life to completely suddenly you're going off and doing all these things and that's not true because I was I'm the same person that I was before the cancer and I'm much more than just cancer girl and I'm much Mm. more than just a fat body and so I choose 
not to kind of make that define me in public. Mm. Well, it works because it's certainly not something that even crossed my mind when I was following your story. So just for if if you needed any (laughs) reassurance that that is absolutely not what came across. It was just the walking and the and the people and the adventure. Yes. And that's a deliberate storytelling style. And if I wanted it to be about, you know, fat person struggles, let's say it, it could be and that would be valid. It's mm. just that I don't, I just don't want to limit myself in that way. Oh, right. Oh, it's so, it's so great. Honestly, I feel like we could be here for days, but I want to talk, <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear, I would like to hear, and I would like uh, the people listening to hear a little bit about the actual walks. Mm-hmm. So the book you, the first book was One Woman Walks Wales, and it was 3,700 miles around Wales, but not just around, but all over Wales. You said it took 17 months. Yeah, in and out, <laughs> up and down. <laughs> <laughs> and that was specifically, well, it was started, I'd like to, t- I'd like you to tell the story very quickly of how you started that because you needed to get to a hospital appointment a few hundred miles away. And then just tell me a little bit about that. I basically was in post-cancer treatment. I had to go to hospital every three months at that mm-hmm. in the first instance. And I saw it was rivers again. It was rivers that started it. And I saw that the River Seven rose from the mountain behind my house and flowed all the way to very close to Bristol, the, you know, the, the channel, Bristol mm-hmm. Channel. And then the, the, the River Wye also rose from the same mountain you know, within a probably, they're probably about half a mile apart, the two, mm. the sources of the two rivers. So I thought I could walk down that river and go to my hospital appointment and <laughs> I could walk back up the other river and walk home again. And so that's what I did six months after major abdominal surgery. I did wow. that. And that was a return to normality, mm. as strange as it sounds, but that was my that was the return to the life I'd been living immediately before cancer. Mm-hmm. And so um, when the idea came for more of a fundraising symptoms awareness journey, I repeated the same thing. I walked down one river to Bristol and then I walked up the Offers Dyke Path and around the coast of Wales. Back, It was supposed to be back to Bristol again and then up the River Wye and home. But then I just added more and more and more and more paths (laughs) in. And I did two mountain routes, north to south and south to north. And I did the length of nine rivers and various other little odd paths that got added in. Yeah, and it ended up being... (laughs) ended up being 3,700 miles and I thought that I was going to go and walk it in nine months uh, which would have been 20 miles a day (laughs) I quickly realized that that was impossible and I did have this kind of little breakdown about after a couple of months because I realized that I wasn't going to do it in the time that I'd set myself and I had this little mental crash of what, what do I do if I can't do it and then because I was injured, I had plantar fasciitis as well because I wasn't um, stretching properly, basically. Yeah, and I, I had a little phone breakdown with my brother and he he basically said, you can do it, you just don't have to do it with a focus on the timings, mm. you know. And so I let go of this target of eight months 
and I just walked and some you know it'd be much more like 10 miles a day that would be kind of a limit of where my heels would really start to hurt after mm. the 10 miles and yeah so I was much slower and I just the, the point is that I did it you know and I, I I slowly 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 did it and and I got to the end and it, and it was great it was just a real <laughs> it's funny because it <laughs> Now, now that I've walked 5,000 miles across Europe, I can mm. look back at that walk and go, wasn't it gentle and sweet and lovely and enjoyable? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was like that at the time. I don't think it did feel like that. I probably have to read my first book again and like, <laughs> remind myself how <laughs> how hard it was <laughs> at yeah. the time. But, you know, obviously then I like leveled up and, and then I went and walked across Europe. Mm. Uh, and that that was the real... Uh, much tougher conditions. <laughs> and when you set out to walk across Europe, did you have a plan? Because you said earlier, oh, people don't think I plan very much, think I'm not as capable as I am. Did you have at least a rough plan of the sort of route that you wanted to follow or a very specific one or not at all? Um, I knew I knew which countries I wanted to walk through. I, basically, I, um, I hitchhiked to Kiev Mm-hmm. from um from the hook of holland and um i knew that i wanted to walk down into bulgaria and then across through the balkans mm. uh, and then go to basically head towards the camino de santiago so that mm-hmm. was that was the plan that i left with and then sometimes i'd make the route up kind of week by week sometimes it would be day by day but i was pretty much yeah i mean i had you know it by the time i left kiev i had all the maps in my bag for the whole of Ukraine mm. and I, I navigated across Ukraine with a paper map and compass mm. and pretty much uh, I'd decide so the thing that I realized about rural Ukraine is there aren't really any hotels ah. they're very very few and far between and so you'd have to go to the town the you'd have to go to the little h's on the map mm. and not every town had a h on it mm. and I thought this is nonsense there must be <laughs> So literally, I looked up on Wikipedia later. I walked into a town of twenty thousand people, so sizable, mm. no H on the map. I said, "Where's where's the hotel?" And she went, "Oh, you'll have to take the bus twenty minutes yeah. down to the H, basically." So there was no, there were no hotels. So I, I, so I would kind of what I was doing was walk, pretty much walking for six days, and then I'd have a day off a week. Mm. So I'd have, I'd wild camp for five nights, mm-hmm. and then. Um, have a rest day so two nights in a hotel mm. so what I'd kind of so this is the this is the amount of route planning that I was doing in Ukraine so I'd get to my day off and then I'd I, I knew you know I knew the direction that I wanted to walk across the country mm. and so I'd look for the next H that was kind of roughly in my mileage mm. and then I'd walk I'd walk to the I spend five six days walking to the next state <laughs> and and as a woman on your own how what what sort of advantages do you think that gave you because we always hear about the fear and the all the things that we all we all definitely have to be aware of but I also find as a woman walking or traveling on my own that there are some distinct advantages I would say that you you miss out on the um the kind of macho aggression aspect of it mm. so Basically, you get to play dumb because people think that people think you're dumb, you know, or they, you know, not dumb, but they think you're a, a weak woman. Mm. So, so for example, I, um, I accidentally, 
<laughs> I accidentally camped on the border between um, Romania and Ukraine. So you, you walk down this kind of river gorge <clears throat> and then you turn west and you're walking parallel to the river to get to the, the bridge crossing. Mm. This is about a day. So it's a two-day walk from the mm. town down the river gorge and then along the road. And um, I got to this like nice flat. So this is a two-day walk. I get to this nice flat spot by the river and I can see some spotlights across the river, but I, I don't really think about it. And basically I camped across where the border with, with Romania started. <laughs> um, and there's quite a lot of cigarette and other probably other types of smuggling that go mm. across this border. Um, and I got woken up by armed guards in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, and the first I knew about it, I was, there was this dog barking and I was peeking out of my tent. And there was this guy standing, uh, you know, probably 20 meters, like quite far away, 20 meters, let's say, shining a torch on my tent and holding a, a, a dog going crazy. Mm. And I was like, what the hell's going on? So I um, I got out of the tent in my pink, fluffy mohair bed socks, just shoved into my <laughs> boots, and I went over. And I was actually quite because I didn't know who they were, and I was obviously I'm, in, I'm intimidated in mm. the situation. And I was like, "Who are you? What do you want?" And then I saw that they were holding like massive guns. And then the mm. guy says, "You know, with show me your passport," <laughs> and like he he was, I mean, he's Ukrainian, so they're, they're all tough as boots anyway they're like super hard and then he's a border guard so he was just not phased by me <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> he's just like listen stupid girl give me your passport you know <laughs> it was just it was just and I, but but what I think uh, I I don't know how that would have gone if mm. I was a man mm. yeah <laughs> perhaps I would have been treated a little more roughly but you know basically they just think you're absolutely no threat at all mm. So they just let you carry on with what you're doing. Um, and perhaps I think I got, uh, if I did get discovered while wild camping, um, I'd get brought food quite often. Mm. So that's, you know, maybe that's because I'm a woman and maybe not, I don't know. You know, I just, I'd heard uh, from other women who've, you know, been away doing things on their own that they often get m more insight into local culture because as you say, no threat, no sort of, you know, in many cultures, especially uh, the further east you go, there, you know, there's a the male-female divide and that sometimes some places men aren't allowed or men are not welcome. And so I just wondered if there were that, you'd found that people were more welcoming and more at ease. But then as one is not a man, one cannot see the difference. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think I think there's this, I will never know, essentially, mm. because there was no man making a parallel journey. Yeah, exactly. It. And it's about, I think it's about so much more than just being male and female mm. as well. I think it's about being smiley, about being friendly, mm. about making an effort to learn the language. It's about mm. not not being rude. You know, yeah, I, yeah. A, a man or a woman could just walk into a town and go, I need bread, I need water. Mm. you know whatever which I've also done because I'm tired and I'm at the end of my tether and I just need <laughs> a fucking shower you know or whatever like <laughs> there are some moments where you can no longer cope and you just need what you need in that moment mm. you know and then you're kind of 
probably just some dick European, <laughs> you know, some some rude rich tourist who, yeah. who doesn't care. And I've probably been that as well. Mm. So yeah, I don't know. You know, it's it is. It's about more than who we are. It's about our smiles, isn't yes. it? Male or female. Yeah. Yeah. I I interviewed a woman recently who had driven twenty thousand kilometers uh through Africa on her own to go wow. home to Zimbabwe. And she said the same. She said a sense of humor, a smile, a laugh, mm-hmm. a d- diffusing anything that may possibly, you know, not be ideal with just that, a smile and a, and a warm openness, uh, she said, mm. just made it so much more enjoyable for her for a start. And also got, you know, she saw the, the best of people. Mm. Yeah, I think it really changed during the pandemic as well. And mm. I think um, I definitely noticed in myself after the first lockdown because the pandemic is a whole part of the story. You know, that's a whole other part of this this story mm. is being basically caught abroad um, during the pandemic and having lockdowns wherever I was and then carrying on walking. And I found that incredibly stressful mm. and um, difficult. And I realized when I started walking again that regardless of how other people were feeling and their personal levels of anxiety or nerves or, you know, we we all have to be more aware of who is this stranger and where have they come from, Mm. you know, interactions are curtailed. But Mm. I realized that I was not making eye contact. I was in such a state of stress and Mm. nerves and worry about this whole continuing walking through the pandemic I was shying away from interaction Mm. well I was making less eye contact I was pausing you know probably milliseconds less Mm. but I was I was pausing less to invite the interaction Mm. and so yeah that's that's what we're creating all the time you know we can be really shut down and focused on our own adventure or our own journey our own project or we can be our boundaries can be more blurred and we can be taking time to stop and listen when people want to talk or you know just pause when they invite us to sit down for a cup of tea you know these are things that male or female we we create in our in our own journey absolutely and I yes oh I honestly I just don't want you to go away. I've just got so much more, but I'm going to have to wait and read the book, I suspect. Um, a couple of things I wanted to quickly ask you. First of all, about the book, you're you're still writing, so you will you presumably don't have a publishing date yet, but sometime this year, hopefully. Well, it's January. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd say I'd say I will have a date this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think it might it might not be this year. Yeah, it's more likely 2023. One Woman out. Walks Europe, is that going to be the title? Uh, I'd say working title. Working title. Yeah, it could be. It could be end to end. It's something about end to end as well, The two mm. or the two edges of Europe. There's something about that. Mm. Interesting. One, yes. one Woman Walks Europe kind of makes sense though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of keeping the theme. And mm. um, the second thing I wanted to, or the penultimate thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, actually, no, I have three more things. Oh, um, very quickly, since we were talking about ovarian cancer, and I know it's something that's very has been very important to you, obviously. Could you give us a quick synopsis of symptoms? 
So the symptoms of ovarian cancer in your abdomen are persistent bloating Mm. or feeling full quickly or losing your appetite, pelvic or abdominal pain um, Mm. and urinary symptoms, which is Mm. needing to wee more urgently or more often than usual. So they are not the things that you would associate with the idea of um, an ovarian cancer. Mm. Um, mine, mine was, uh, there can be other things like diarrhea or constipation or unexplained weight loss. One of mine was constipation because the tumor was basically pressing, pressing on my bowels. Yeah. And so, um, there, there's loads of stuff online about it for you to kind of look up and mm. see, you know, are they, are the symptoms frequent or are they persistent or are they not normal for you? Because the, um, ovarian cancer is quite often misdiagnosed as IBS in yeah. early stages because mm-hmm. and you know there are things like if you're just kind of feeling tired and bloated that's not necessarily going to be ovarian cancer yeah. the first thing that pops into your mind so get yourself checked out yes thank you and then I wanted to say ask you what's next because I know you're doing these is it 84 days of walks that you're doing to sort of commemorate yeah. your 10 years but have you got any other bigger plans that you not bigger because that's big enough but anything mm-hmm. sort of more going walking away from home and going away for a while type plans that you can share um I don't and I, and I think part of it is I was away I didn't have a home for two years, nine months in an extremely vulnerable time of a pandemic, let alone just, you know, yeah. the normal feelings of having gone away. So I don't feel like I want to leave again until mm. I have a home here. And so for me, I think in this time, this is about connecting again with Wales and my community and my friends and maybe I won't ever go away again mm. or maybe I, I've just kind of said to myself write the book stay here while you write the book and then and then see how you feel how lovely yeah and lastly do you remember uh, that I asked you about a challenge Katie yeah nothing really came to mind because I I don't really I don't really have a, a, a specialization you know my my kind of type of adventures are the idea of doing something from your front door Mm. came up so it's that sense of not not getting on a load of equipment and you know driving to do some thing that lasts for 10 minutes and is full of adrenaline and then driving two hours back it's this sense of the gentleness yeah I think the the gentleness is what I'd like to challenge you with is do something from your front door mm-hmm. and do something that is slow and gentle, I think. Well, I live on the side of a mountain, so slow and gentle is a little difficult sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I absolutely understand the concept. And I tell you what I will do. I will tell you, uh, because I have, I have a long-term project, which is to walk from home to Rome, because I live on the border, uh, near oh. the border of Italy. And so over oh. the last few years, I have, put together all the bits that go from my front door all the way I'm um, somewhere past Aosta now uh, in Italy ah, and I go yeah. every year and I just me and the dog and we just walk and mm. so what I will do is I will just uh, I will continue that with your ethos in mind because it is something that I find the most I just find it so 
fabulous and energizing and cathartic and all the things I just walk. And the first two days I feel super tense and exhausted because I've, you know, been organizing the family to go away and da, da, da. And then the third day I wake up and I say, I just have to put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And it's gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> and are you kind of a, um, I think we all are like, I, I haven't escaped this either, but to, are you like a, a self-competitive person? Are you always kind of going, you know, how many miles am I going to walk today? Well, like, I'm a li- Are you always pushing a bit? Um, I, I try not to, but a bit like you. So the, the, the it's the Via Francigena, which I'm sure you've heard of. And so I kind of like, I like to try and do the stages as per the, the app, yeah. but then if it looks like it's going to be too long, I just don't, <laughs> you know, if I, if I think, because, you know, I also have dicky hip, dodgy knee, so I get the most blistered feet on the planet. Oh, and no. so I have to, I've learned over the years that I just have to say, it's my bloody trip and I will yeah. stop yeah. or I will sleep in a hotel if I want to, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I don't spend masses of money on it. And I just go. And as long as the dog is and and sometimes the dog is too hot, too thirsty to this or do whatever. So I say, no, that's it. I'm uh-huh. stopping now. And I'll start again. If I've run out of time for this year, then I'll, I'll start from here next year. And so I am being much more gentle and much kinder with myself the further into it I go. Yeah. No, but I, I will keep you in mind because I do get that. It's like, oh, no, well, I haven't made it to here, and, but I have to constantly talk myself down <laughs> yeah yeah well therefore I will keep you in mind when I as I continue my challenge then and and I do love walking from my front door I find it yeah especially I live in a super competitive very sporty kind of community and so that was how I started my sporting life I sort of started at the really hard end of it going right everybody's doing this I've got to do this and now yeah, yeah. I just go, actually, do you know what? I'm going to do this because it makes me feel good and because it makes me happy. It's wonderful, isn't yeah, it? That's, that's my trajectory of the last 10 years, I think, is letting go of mm. trying to let go of competition and what people think of you. Hard. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, really hard. Really hard. I'm not even slightly there yet, but it's a nice thought. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh Ursula thank you so much for your time it has been so worth the weight of us sort of not connecting for a while it has just been absolutely brilliant um I really oh I look forward to following what happens next and the rest of your walks and the next book and so on so thank you so much it was my pleasure it was really nice talking to you Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week with some more great chat with another amazing woman. Bye-bye.